This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to Nicholas Guetta. Nick is the chief marketing officer for Numa Media, a company that they've been growing rapidly doing marketing consulting work for different companies. Uh, so this is fun. We hear about how he got into marketing, how that really resonated with him where previous schooling did not. Uh, and this is a world where he's engaged and thrived and, and really had a lot of fun with. Uh, so I enjoyed hearing that history. Uh, we dived into some mindset stuff like that, but I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I sure did. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Nick, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Here to talk about marketing initially, uh, but I listened to you on a podcast and you had said something about you were out west at the base of a hill. Maybe you use that as a metaphor, or maybe you actually have experience in that. So that's something else that I wanted to bring up as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. But do you? Was that a metaphor? Or, no, or? that was um, it was a real trip. I took last June, maybe out in Seattle, but then we went out to Leavenworth in okay. like the middle of Washington. It's like the small little Bavarian town, super super touristy, but um, pretty awesome. It's just like surrounded by mountains, and we did a hike out there to Colchuck Lake, and it was like four and a half miles in at. 3,000 feet of elevation and like Hmm. I used to work out a lot I think during like before that hike it had been like a year and a half since I've seen the gym right and so I'm going out there fresh legs and it was pretty brutal yeah so we started at like six in the morning um and it took us some time but I remember like being up there halfway and I was cruising pretty good Mm -hmm. but you can't see the top like you're in the middle of a forest you have no idea like to gauge how far you are on that trail right um that was just like one of the things where I was like probably going as hard as I could for even like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I was so gassed, but I remember like looking down and I was like, I can't believe how much ground that I just covered in like that short period of time. Right. Even right. though it just like seemed like it sucked. Um, and so that was kind of the thing, right? Like at the bottom of the hill, it, you start to hurt real early because the elevation's so tough. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I don't know how I'm going to make this. But then it's so like, if you look up, it's stressful. Right. Because you don't know how much more distance you have to go, but looking down was actually things like, okay, I've covered way more ground than I thought I did. Yeah. The rest of this is going to be easy. Okay. And so, yeah, I kind of pulled it out of there. Of like, it sucks when you look up at how much more you still have to go. Right. It's like defeating. But if you look down at how much ground you covered, it's like, it's motivating. Sure. Sure. And you applied that or you learned in that moment and applied that to your everyday I to. life? I, I, can't, to. Yeah. I can't say that it happens all the time, but it's like, it's a good <clears throat> reminder for me to, you know, like even now, especially in my career, when I look at the stuff I'm doing and every single day, it's... Um, I could be doing more of this. I could be doing less of this. I could be more productive. I could spend more time learning. And then I think about it. I was like, okay, a year ago, I am like, I'm 10 steps ahead of where I th- wanted to be a year ago Right. at this point. Like looking at it that way, it's a lot easier just to like compartmentalize and really like contextually look at 
what you're doing, where you are, and then deciding what you're going to do for that day because, yeah, you're probably in a better position than you're giving yourself credit for. Sure, sure. In what in the podcast I listened to, you, one of the things, and we're going to jump around, and I guess that's of the beauty of what we do, right? <laughs> but one of the things you talked about is you guys as a company, you work for, what? what's the company? Numa Media. Numa Media. You're yep. their chief marketing officer, is that yep. right? Um, and one of the things that you pride yourself on is being very quick, very responsive, and adaptive, and adjusting on the fly, right? Yep. Uh, for your clients. Do you, do you think about that in a life perspective as well? Because you just mentioned, hey, maybe you're way further than you thought you were. And I, I feel like that applies to business, right? I, a quarter in, you're way ahead. But do you apply that to life as well? I mean, just in general, I think it's important to break things, like move fast and break things. It's everybody talks about, like you look at from a business perspective, like Gary Vaynerchuk or anybody else who's like playing at that level. It's always like move fast, break things, make wrong decisions. And I think it's easy to say. It's really, really hard to follow, especially because you're like, okay, what happens with everything breaks? Right. Um, but I do think it's important because you're going to learn a lot faster breaking 10 things in a week than you are going to be sitting on for two weeks on one decision and then figuring out it's wrong two weeks down the road. Sure. Right. I'd rather be wrong 10 times in a very short amount of time than I would be to be wrong one time in a very long period of time. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it's just like from a learning experience. And we talked a little bit before we jumped on here about some of my my college background and my career background and like I failed a bunch, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like failed out of college, made the wrong decisions and where I went to college, um, picked the wrong career choices. But like, had I not made those choices immediately and I sat on it for a year or two years and then went the route I wanted to go. Right. It's like, I just put that much more time in my back pocket. Like, yeah, I could have been at the right point after that two year mark mm-hmm. instead of waiting on it. Sure. So, yeah. I do think it's important to move fast, but at the same time, if you're going to move fast and break things, you also have to be willing to continue to go when things are breaking left and right. Sure, sure. So, yeah, right before we got on, you had talked about that. You said you struggled in high school? No, oh, terrible student. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and was that uh, effort-driven or many things or what was what was that um, come back to? I mean, to take full ownership of it, yeah, of course, it was effort-driven. Um, I think another component of it, which I've become pretty bullish on, in recent times is was like the learning style okay um and not so much that it's like school systems don't tailor to certain learning styles and like yes i think that's true but also i didn't understand how i learned best okay like now i'm realizing everything for me to learn the best i have to do it okay and it has to be very like visual or audible sure i can't read right like i like realistically like i can read and i read a lot of books but it takes me a pretty long time because it's like that's not the way my brain works there's a little bit of dyslexia in there which makes things really difficult and in school when i was like reading everything trying to like self teach when i was in class i was more worried about taking notes than i was about listening to the teacher sure which ultimately made it impossible for me to retain anything right. unless i could like record it and listen to it back or i would just like hands on in the lab yeah. biology was easy because i could sit in a lab and put my hands on things. But then you get me into the classroom and I struggle. Right, right. Um, So, yeah, it was just like I struggled really, really hard in high school trying to learn that way. And it wasn't until even, you know, me like three years into college that I figured out, like, oh, if I actually show up to class with no notebook and no pencil and I sit and I pay attention to the teacher, I'm going to ace the tests. Right, because after the lecture, I can go back, I can read the book, and then I can contextually take what's in the book and apply it to what I heard in the classroom. Right, right. Versus trying to do it the opposite way when I struggled, and I once as soon as I flipped it around and did it backwards, everything made so much more sense. Huh, crazy. And that was well into your into your uh, learning life, right? You said you went to film school for a bit, yeah, uh, and then you transitioned to biomed. Is mm-hmm. that right? 
And then what made that, like that wasn't working. What made you realize that marketing was it and that what made that transition happen? Um, it's a crazy story. Um, so I was in college, basically failing out at tech, trying to be a biologist, like wasn't working out, wasn't learning, took a semester off. Um, and me and my buddies were actually at the KBC and like hanging out all day. And he had just graduated mm-hmm. and was coming back and telling me about his marketing job. And we are, I mean, we just like, we're at the KBC all day long. He's talking to me about this and talking to me about this. And it's like starting to trigger something in my head. Hmm. I was like, I think this job is for me. He's like, I talk to people all day. I get to do creative stuff. It's like, it's in the art world. It's in the business world. Two things that I was really attracted to. Um, and I just walked into the business advisor's office that next morning mm-hmm. and was just like, I got to make this switch. You got to let me back into school. I think this is something that I can do. Right. Um, and made the switch and it worked out. Yeah. And at what point did your uh, new style of learning happen? Was it in the marketing program or was no, it? No, the- well, it's in the marketing program, but through a business law class. Okay. Um, this teacher had a teaching style that worked for me. And right. so he didn't have, um, he had a textbook. He said, you could get a B in the class without it. And I was, I was a B student. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll take the B in the class. Um, but he didn't teach out of a textbook. He taught his lecture based on, you know, he was a lawyer for years. He just taught based on what he knew. Our exams, he had like, he gave us, an empty notebook, right? Just like a blank page. Right. And then he had a sheet with questions on it and we just had to number them and then like freehand write our answers to those questions. Hmm. And so I didn't have multiple choice. I had to pull it from my brain and I was only learning based on what he was saying in the lecture. Right. And so once I kind of realized like, okay, if I pay attention to the way he speaks and then I apply that to like the open-ended questions he asks, I can write things down contextually in the way that I understand them. Weird. You So you don't even like... That was because- the- I was going to say that's the only class I've ever gotten 100% in. Okay. And once that happened, I was like, this, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, crazy. No, it's just weird to think that like almost this class that forced you to not have a textbook, not forced you, but it just happened, right? You don't yeah. even have a textbook. You don't have the option to take notes that that is what would teach you how you learned best. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know there's definitely kids that struggled in that. And right. Like, we need a clear set of rules. We need to know exactly is this right or is this wrong? But in law, that's never the case, right? right? There's so many different variables that go on to it. And I think that's just, yeah, it helped me think very contextually and visually. Right. I was like trying to map out a certain situation. Yeah. And then was looking at it as like a whole picture versus like right or wrong. Right. Okay. So uh, I'm interested in where you're at today and how that applies to your current life, which we will get into, but also the trajectory of you getting to there, because I think there's changes that happen to you internally. Oh, yeah. to see you going from a struggling high school student to a struggling college student. I'm failing to now I'm in the marketing program. I love this. I'm excelling to where you're at today. I think there's some pretty big changes that happened to you internally. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I'm curious about what those moments were. So like thinking about school itself, was it a pretty quick shift into this makes total sense. I love this and I'm excelling in the marketing program. One, because of your interests and two, because of your potential different learning style. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with motivation in general. Okay. Um, right. It's really, really hard to learn a subject that you're not passionate about, Mm -hmm. like incredibly hard, um, to the point where it's like you're showing up and you're only doing the bare minimum to get what you need out of that subject or to regurgitate it, whatever, because you don't care about it. Right. Um, when I got into marketing, it was one of those things that I realized like, okay, I'm going to do what I need to learn in this classes, but it's a subject that interests me. So I'm also going to now do A, B, and C outside of the required material. Yeah. Right. And so once I think it just like triggered me, like I actually want to learn this, I was willing to do what it took to excel in that. Right. It allowed me to do things that I would do naturally on a day-to-day basis anyways. Like 
get to talk to people all day long, get to run ad campaigns and work with creative teams and like just work in a business space and try to create basically something from nothing. Right. Right. Um, I think people are one of my favorite things in the entire world. They're incredibly interesting. And Mm -hmm. for my job now to be looking at how people behave, um, what's going to make somebody very excited about making a certain purchase, all of that drives me to learn more and more, which of course, then in the transition of me going from struggling in school to finding something I was finally passionate about, just made that learning that much easier. For sure. Yeah. Did you, did you define yourself as a struggling student? Like I, I always did fairly well at school, so I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I don't have that experience, I guess, to know what it's like to be a struggling student. And I'm curious what that's like to like, did you define yourself or hold yourself back internally? I just don't think I cared enough. Okay. Honestly, like I think I was going to school because I was supposed to go to school. Okay. Um, and every time something didn't go well, it was the brush off of like, I don't care about this subject anyways, so it doesn't matter. And I don't think I attributed that to me being like a quote unquote struggling student at the time. Sure. Knew yeah. I was smart, knew I was capable, um, knew also that I wasn't getting to apply my skill set in the way that it needed to be applied. Right. Um, so when I was struggling, it was more so the fact that like I wasn't in the right space. Sure. And yeah. I was kind of curious, but like, how does everybody else really enjoy this? Because this isn't me at all. Right. Um, and even once I figured out that I liked marketing at that point, um, I had already had jobs, internships. I was helping consult for people because it was something I picked up really quick. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, once I was in school, it was like, well, this is second to all this work experience I'm getting. So it's kind of even hard to be passionate here in general. Right, right. But yeah, I don't think I've really defined myself as a struggling student. I think I definitely would define myself as somebody that didn't belong okay. in the place that I was trying to be a student in. Sure, sure. Well, that makes sense. And it almost seems like, I don't know, but I'm just putting myself in your shoes, that if I'm in an area that I'm not interested or passionate about, maybe I won't excel, but I feel like you still know who you are internally. You know the oh, yeah. work ethic that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still have that fire in your belly, whatever else, where you know yep. that you've you're, you've got a lot of potential, but you just need to find the right place for that. Yeah. And I was a pretty big advocate for projects, okay. like anything I could do, um, trying to learn, obviously, like if school wasn't the thing, it wasn't that I was just like going to do nothing, right? I was going to go do something else. And I was still really active in playing with a camera, um, less on film, but like really got into the photography side of things. I was meeting with business owners and just like legitimately trying to learn, like working for free and saying, Hey, what can I do for you? Um, the first summer after, I guess my first semester in marketing, um, I did this thing that I called a three for three. Okay. And I was thought I was going to continue to do it and decided that getting paid for it was better. But sure. um, I was taking on like three solopreneurs for three months during the summer and working for them for free. Hmm. Basically just like, hey, let's see what we can do in three months. Um, you don't have a whole lot of budget. I don't have a whole lot of experience. Let's trade some value here and work on it. And I think just like doing things like that outside of the school world allowed me to have like real applicable knowledge. For sure. Versus, you know, what I was like trying to quote unquote learn in the classroom. Right, right. No, that makes sense. Part of the reason I was thinking about, the, again, the trajectory of school and how it changed you internally. I'm going to butcher this story, but do you know, have you heard of the story of the guy who was, a, I mean, failing school, right? And mm-hmm. he went and took not the ACT, but what's the other one? The, uh, SAT. SAT, right? Mm-hmm. And he got back at like a near perfect score or whatever else. And he couldn't believe it. Like he had went through that day. Uh, well, we'll go through the motions, whatever, finished it, got back a near perfect score. And his mom's <laughs> like, you cheated. Like, what did you do? And he's like, no, I promise I didn't cheat. Like, and then this told him that he was a genius, right? So mm-hmm. 
he all of a sudden he aced everything in school. He applied himself. He like, okay, now I'm a genius. I really need to figure mm-hmm. this out. Went on to be, have a super successful career. Many, many years later, he's like a CEO of this company, yeah. whatever else. Many years later, he gets a letter from the uh, SAT board that every so often they go back and audit the test that they had taken. And it turned out his was like one of 13 tests that they actually sent the wrong score. He had actually gotten like an average to below average score. But because in his head, he believed that he had aced this test, it totally changed who he thought was he was mm-hmm. internally. So nothing's different about the guy himself yeah. other than his mindset. Mm-hmm. So I, I just was curious if that is applicable to you at all. But it sounds like you kind of knew that you had a, uh, an ability from the start maybe or uh, yeah, yeah but i mean I, I don't give myself ownership for that so my mom and sister are both life coaches okay um which makes it really really hard to not think yeah. aggressively <laughs> right. positive all the time no matter what your situation is um i've told this story a few times to some people but like when i first failed out of college right it was like i was three semesters into tech they politely asked me to leave i'm stressed yeah. one because like i wanted to be there i wanted to accomplish what i was doing like it just like wasn't working out mm-hmm. um and i was literally like sitting there to like the point of like shaking like what am i supposed to do now right like not gonna go to community college it just like wasn't something that i was like willing to do like i'd rather go work um try to transfer out try to do something else and my mom was like all right let's go get coffee and let's talk about this and figure it out and the thing that she said to me was pretty much was like what was the the changing point in that tra- trajectory? And she said, just because you're a failure in one place does not make you a failure in all places. Right. Right. Like where you are now is not where you're supposed to be today, but it's leading you to where you're supposed to be tomorrow. Right. And I think like that, her saying that was kind of the thing that was like, okay, this situation is fine. Mm-hmm. I was not supposed to be a biologist. I never really even wanted to be a biologist. I was doing it because I thought it was what you did once you graduated high school and you went into college and you got a quote unquote real job. Right. Um, and that was that. And she was like, great, take the time off, figure out what you want to do, go back when you figure it out. And then that was in, you know, that would have been in December. It was after the fall semester. And then in February, I walked into the office and was like, all right, I'm ready to switch into marketing. And it was like pretty much set. Yeah. Right. No, that resonates with me growing up. I mean, growing up in this area, right. It's a very, uh, can do attitude, a hardworking, mm-hmm. you're very typically very handy, right. You're going to do most of the things around your house. You're going to work in construction. You're going to do plumbing, whatever else. Mm-hmm. That's something I, I can hold my own and I can be a volunteer on a weekend, whatever else, but didn't come naturally to me and right. somewhat struggled with. And there's a part of me that like, what's going on? Like, why can't I figure this out? Mm-hmm. Right. And you hear Mike Rowe, dirty jobs, Mike Rowe, mm-hmm. right. Talk about where he was the same thing. He wanted, he wanted to be like his dad. His dad was a master plumber, a, a, a amazing carpenter, whatever else. And he always struggled it. And finally his dad told him like, Mike, you've just got a different toolbox. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you need to, that's okay. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to have the same toolbox that I have. You, you, you are an amazing person. You got a strong skill set. It's just in a different world or a different avenue that same with you, right? The bio. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things as well. Like even in the marketing world, um, I don't think my skill set's the same as most marketers. Sure. Right. There's a lot of people who are very, very technical with it, which is great and necessary. Like it's totally needed. Mm-hmm. Um, where again, I don't think I fit that box and the realization with that exact same style of thing is, well, great. If I'm not going to fit in that box, I'm not going to force it, but I'm going to figure out what my skill set is, blow it out of the water and be now even more valuable than most because I'm coming at it from a different angle than 90% of people. Right. Right. So you tried to lean in on who you are and was that intentional? Has to be. Yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, from a marketing perspective, that's about the only way it can't go. Right. Yeah. 
as a marketer, as a company, as a person, I mean, I, right? I think, oh yeah. So I look at it from a marketing perspective and like, how do you become the most ex- successful person, business owner? Um, I mean, whatever you want to name it, right. it you, like, you have to take your skill set and then whatever your strengths are and, you know, triple, quadruple down on it. Right, right. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. So going back to the school side of things, you graduated from there. What was your path after that? Like, I'm curious how you got from school to where you're at currently. Um, yeah. So after I graduated in my last semester, uh, I thought about starting like my own personal consultancy. I wanted to work for myself. I pretty much after school was like, I don't even know how I'm ever going to work for a company. Sure. Um, I clearly don't fit into a box of doing things the way they're supposed to be. Right. And so I started basically building out a framework for being self-employed. Mm-hmm. Um, did a couple projects. I had no idea how to op- own and operate a business. Like I struggled with fulfillment. I struggled with sales. I struggled with everything that somebody who's never done business before struggles with. Mm-hmm. Um, and after about three months of that, I ended up hiring my own business coach. Okay. Worked with him for about six weeks. Um and then ended up working for a local company here, Smart Creative. Okay. Um, Scott Niska saw a project that I put out and was basically like, hey, come in. Let's see what we can do. And after that conversation, I ended up working there for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, after a year, was back in the entrepreneurial mindset of like, man, I could really do this myself. Right. Um, and I would like to. Like, There's just so much about working for another company that... Not to say like that all companies operate this way, but like when you're showing up from, you know, eight to five for somebody else and you're doing the fulfillment for somebody else and like it can be kind of boxing in Mm -hmm. when (laughs) I had the brain that I did of basically being like, yes, I could do this, but then I could also create whatever else I want outside of that. Sure. Um, And so, yeah, after about a year there, I decided just to make the decision and I was like, okay, I'm going to see what happens Um, and left and got into my own just consulting for other companies again. I was doing freelance marketing work. And then I met my buddy, David Riggs, who's the founder of NUMA. Mm -hmm. Uh, We connected in January on a Zoom call. He also had just quit his um, management consulting company out of Chicago. So Mm -hmm. he was like two months into this business. And we connected. And after that call, a month and a half later, he shot me a text message. And he's like, hey, you said you did marketing, right? Like, we didn't talk about business on this call at all. Like, strictly a friendship call. He's like, you said you did marketing, right? I was like, well, yeah, great. I have one project for you. Hmm. Well, last March, one project turned into two, two projects turned into seven, seven projects turned into basically like a marketer and project manager for the company and now sitting as CMO, um, yeah, operating for NUMA. Right. But since I met David last January, I mean, we've gone from doing 
um, seven thousand dollars last January mm-hmm. to, I mean, just over one hundred fifty thousand last month. Right, right. So right. we've we've been growing that company like crazy in such a short period of time. But yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride from graduating college, being self employed, not making really a dime. Sure. To going through this transition of like leaps and bounds of trying to figure out where I'm going to land. Right. Right. And obviously life can take you a hundred different directions down the road, but currently it's pretty cool to see you thriving from a, but I, I guess what, how I'm tying that in life can take you different directions. But did you find that you thrive in a world where you don't have to worry about the back end logistics or the, maybe the sales side of things or a, how does that play out? Yeah, I'm not, um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you heard of the book rocket fuel. No, I don't think I have. Uh, I maybe heard I of it. I can't remember who's, I want to say Mario something. The guy's got a very Italian name. Okay. Um, but this book, Rocket Fuel, and essentially the idea behind it is that there's two types of people in all of businesses, and there's visionaries and integrators. Sure. Right? Visionaries basically drop, come up with the big ideas. Integrators are the ones who execute it. Right. Um, Apple, Steve Jobs is the visionary. And then I can't remember the other guy's name, which is how it Wozniak, always works. Yeah, Steve Wozniak right. was his integrator, right? Right. Um, you can't be both. Sure. Because it stresses you out. Visionaries, when they have the ideas and you tell them to go execute it, they get bored. Yeah. Because it's not the big exciting stuff and they can't think anymore, right? Um, The integrators very rarely have the freedom in their mind to go think the way a visionary does. They're very analytical. It's right or wrong. Um, They set a lot of boundaries for things that they do. Mm -hmm. I realize moving forward in this, like I'm very much a visionary. Sure. So when it comes to operating my own business, there's a lot of integrator stuff that goes into that that I never want to do. Right. Um, and yeah, sure, I can find an integrator to come in and work with me. There's a lot of things I could do to own and operate my own business. I don't know that I'm in the mood to do that yet. You know, it's like sure. one of the, right now I'm really, really enjoying getting to sit in a spot where like I'm using all of my skill sets. Mm-hmm. I think at some point down the road, there might be a time where it expands out of that, but not yet. Sure. Right. Yeah. The, you had mentioned the, uh, partial dyslexia mm-hmm. or something right i'm not diag- i'm not diagnosed but okay i'm pretty much self-diagnosed i've the amount of research i've done on it and um like i don't want to know if it, like symptoms is the right word but yeah i'm pretty much line up to a t okay uh but i, I follow you on different social media things and yeah. you write quite a bit and it's very well written so it, yeah but if you, you break it down. My grammar's terrible. There's okay. usually some kind of spelling error in there. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff that somebody else who like is pretty detail oriented always catches me on and they'll sure. message me and, Hey, you have a typo. Hey, this is structured wrong, whatever. And it's like, well, great. Yeah. I'd like exactly from a big picture standpoint, getting my message across, I do pretty well. Right. But if you tell me to articulate it perfectly, it's not always the case. Yeah. Right. No, but part of it is like the honesty though, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like you're very honest with the, the message that you put out there and who cares if it's missing a period or something, right? That's uh, my philosophy. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that will resonate people beyond the dishonest and mm-hmm. my, it's structured perfectly, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, there's a lot of people who think that, I mean, I don't know that this is necessarily a, a wrong thought. It's not mine, but that your brand image is tailored to a level of professionalism and like, you know, detail oriented in certain marketing tactics means that you care more about the product. Right. right. You know, from my perspective, like we talked about before, moving fast and breaking things is important. I'm more worried about putting an idea out there that resonates with somebody more than I am making it perfect. Right. I'm a big fan of imperfect action. 
right. um, to a T. And I think having a having a strong thought is better building brand than delivering it perfectly. Okay. Can that be applied? I've thought about that quite a bit. The The marketing world is something I've, I mean, just being a real estate agent, whatever else mm-hmm. you're, you're passively engaged in and something I've just as a, as a side liner been engaged in as a bystander been engaged in. Yep. But I thought I, I, you watch a lot of companies that are on a huge, huge global corporate company. And typically they don't step out of line in any direction. Like everything is tailored, cut, perfect. They're never going to offend a single person. Does it have to be that way for that huge company or can they do it by also being like you are honest and imperfect and whatever else? Well, so that gets a little bit different because you can afford to have a team there, right? You have how many employees? Mm-hmm. You may as well hire one person to be quality assurance. Sure. Right? If it's like, my thought is if it can be perfect, make it perfect. Okay. But being perfect shouldn't slow you down. It shouldn't halt progress. It shouldn't get in the way of executing. Sure. Right. Right. Perfection. Like, I guess that's the easiest way to put it. Perfection cannot get in the way of executing. Right. Um, those bigger companies can afford to be perfect without it getting in the way of executing. And the truth is they're not perfect all the time. Right. Right. They make mistakes. They make mistakes in their messaging. They do something that potentially is politically correct or inaccurate, or, you know, they, they make calls based on who they want to be as a brand. Sure. That doesn't resonate with everybody. Right. Um, you know, so they're not perfect, but at the same time, it's like, you're not going to expect a spelling error from North Face. No. Right. Right. <laughs> so, but at the same time, in a North Face LinkedIn post, in an Instagram post, in a caption, there could be spelling errors in there all day. Mm-hmm. There's something that happens that I don't think you're not going to buy North Face because they spelt the word the without an E. Right. Right. So, but partially what I'm curious about is, okay, they can afford to be perfect, but is there value in them being imperfect? You know, isn't there a few bigger companies that will step outside the box and make funny comments on Twitter and whatever else? I just feel like there's a, a world and a space for them to, sometimes when it's just so perfect and so tailored and never offending, offending well, anybody, it's just bland. Well, so I think you have to look at it from a different perspective. It's not the difference between being perfect and imperfect. It's a difference in whether or not brands allow themselves to be human. Sure. Right. It's the reason a lot of companies um, release videos, documentaries, they have interviews, they do behind the scenes things. And it's like you can tell the difference, like every company can have those videos, Mm -hmm. but you can tell the difference between ones that are doing it raw, real, authentic versus the ones who are kind of staging the situation. Right. But that video aspect is the quote unquote imperfection in the company because it's human. Okay. People are going to go off the cuff. They're going to say things. They're going to have um, a personality that allows you to connect with them on a level that isn't just like, oh, we're this cut and dry brand who, you know, like you said, like tailored, neat, clean cut. But yeah, I don't think it's a conversation of perfect versus imperfect. For it's sure. which companies apply the most humanism to their brands. Right, right. And the okay. ones that do the most, you're going to see a little bit of imperfection there. Sure. Sure. So do you, I mean, currently you're chief marketing officer, right? You're thriving in that world. Do you watch a lot of these big companies or how do you get your, your marketing inspiration or how do you, where do you pull from? Um, books. Okay. A lot of it is, it's kind of ironic where most people look at larger companies that are currently trending and what they're doing to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, I read a lot of biographies. Okay. Because you look at how people have behaved in the past, you look at old situations and how things have been done before, and realistically, you can get a pretty large conglomerate of the way that humans like to behave. Right. And once you understand how humans behave, you can act in a way that 
you know, makes them happier in the decisions that they're making. And marketing trends change all the time, mm -hmm. but I don't think marketing at a base changes all the time, right? It's still going to be really, really simple as in understanding where people are spending the majority of their time, what they need to hear before they feel confident in making a buying decision and whether or not you can deliver that value to them. Sure. But yeah, a lot of my, a lot of my marketing insight, like I follow a few people, um, really big names right now, like, uh, Chris Walker from Refine Labs, they're a marketing company that is like absolutely crushing it right hmm. now. Um, and so he's probably the most person I follow for like really like current up-to-date topics and how he's approaching based on the research his team is doing. Okay. And he'll give all that information out for free on LinkedIn and videos. He does um, live podcasts every Thursday that you can come do like a Q&A with him in. Hmm. But outside of that, a lot of it is reading books, um, looking at past history events um, to kind of like gauge how humans behave in yeah, general. That's interesting. Um, you mentioned the interesting or like you're really interested in people. Um, likewise, right? That's what this mm -hmm. is all about. That's what me being in sales and business has all been from the start is people. Like that's the mm -hmm. core of it. Um, and I've in, a, in social settings, I've always been very interested in like why, how do group dynamics work and why does this change this, that changes this and makes this next thing happen. Also on large scale things, like you can see, I mean, gr small group, right. But also large group. And I feel like that applies into, of course, the, the marketing side of things, but you find that interesting as well. Like how do groups dynamics, how do social different things work out or how does that play into your, I look at that process? a lot less, um, more than like, I would say I focus a lot more on the individual okay. than I do on the group. Sure. There's occasional times when I'm looking at from a marketing perspective and I look within companies, okay. that's probably the only time I really look at like how groups are behaving. Sure. Okay. Right? Because I need to know how buying decisions are going to be made. Who's actually seeing things first. Is it actually the decision maker, the VP, the CEO, the director, or is it the intern who saw something and wants to show off and tell his boss he has a good idea? Sure. Right. Those are two totally different buying paths and how that works in a group and the dynamics there. Um, is one thing that's interesting to me. I would say, um, I'll say I, I had the thought and now I have to come back to it. Yeah. The groups, the individuals, the, the way you look at the, them from, a, Oh yeah. So yeah. I think like for the other side about the groups from a buying perspective, right. Is people buy through word of mouth marketing more than they're going to buy through anything else. Sure. Um, and it comes down to Seth Godin has the saying of like people like us buy things like this. Yeah. And that's coming from like your group collective. So like if you want to be part of this group, you're going to do X, Y, and Z things. Hmm. But it still starts with an individual. Right. Right. And so like when we talk about marketing, there's a direct buyer's persona that you want to target. And when you find that direct buyer's persona, you're targeting one person. Sure. In hopes that there's many people like that one person. And so, yeah, I guess it's hard to think about in like a group perspective more than it is the individual. Because okay. if I can get the individual nailed... Then I can get the second one and the second one and the second one because that one individual is going to do all my marketing for me. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, on a firsthand level, if I'm passionate about a product and, and I've got whatever might be product company and I've got friends in that same world, for sure. I mean, mm -hmm. I'll sell it all day long because look at how sweet it is. Mm -hmm. Huh. That's, yeah, I, I would have always thought about it more from a, again, just being from a bystanding passive interest in marketing, I would have thought about it from a group perspective, but you really try to dial down. Do you do that with your clients? Yeah. Like, is that what you try to do? Define well, like who is your... Our biggest right now, I guess the way I look at marketing is not at the front end of the sale. Okay. Right? Of course, it's at the front end of the sale and the standpoint of 
marketing should be helping out in the sales job by, you know, qualifying our customers and getting them to want to buy. But we spend the most amount of our time probably within our company working on customer experience, fulfillment, partnerships, and referrals. Sure. All at the back end of after they've come through. Right. Why? Because for every one person we close that we can make a partner is going to send us four to six referrals. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, we want to make sure that customer experience is elite because otherwise we're going to have a ton of turnover. Every right. client that comes through, we have to replace. Right. Other than every client that comes through is going to replace themselves with four new ones. And so my marketing brain doesn't go into how do we get more new people in. Sure. It's how do we make the current people the happiest they've ever been so they want to stick around longer and they want to refer us to their friends. Right. Right. Exactly. People like us buy things like this. So they go to their friends and say, hey, I just invested $25,000 for the next 12 months with Numa. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to grow your business like I am, you should do the same thing. You ever hear the term in the sales world I've heard of like, a, uh, again, same thing. I'm not quite sure if this is the right term, but I'll try to portray the message as a farmer versus a hunter or something to that effect. Do you ever hear that? Yep. Um, and and so you're saying that basically you try to be as a company, as a person, a farmer, right? You're let's, we've got clients, they're, they're passionate about us and let's retain that. Whereas there are mines and companies that are strictly hunters. They're trying to find the next hmm. thing. And I'm not, I'm wondering if there's not one that's better than the other, but it ties back into your learning style, whatever else is lean in on who you are as a company and as a person and be that style. And because that's going to be honest to who you are. Is that, do you think that's accurate? I think you need both. Okay. If, well, I mean, it depends. Everybody has different business goals. Sure. Right. At NUMA, we're on the road to 10 million right now. Like that's all we care about. Right. We want to hit that 10 million revenue mark and everything we do is getting us there. Right. Um, so we need both to grow at that level. Mm-hmm. There's people who don't want to grow at that level. They're solopreneurs. They have three employees. They could never handle that. And they can get by 100% on referrals, partnerships, word of mouth marketing, or they can get by with one salesperson that continuously puts leads in. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, right, everybody has different business goals, not saying one thing's right or wrong. But if you really want to grow and get to a point where you have too much business to handle, you need both. Sure. Um, we're focused right now on having an 18 to 24 month client retention. Okay. I think client retention is one of the most underrated things in business. Sure. Um, people obviously, you want client retention. You want your clients to stick around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Again, easier said than done. What are you doing on a day-to-day basis to make sure that your clients are sticking around? Are you developing new service offerings for them? Are you giving them you know, benefits? Do they have all the results that they need to come in? Um, but it just becomes one of those things now where, okay, if we have 24 months for every client that comes through on a two-year basis, well, then let's just fill the pipe full of salespeople. And it's like every single day we're adding in three more, mm-hmm. but we're only losing one every month. Right. And that's, you know, that's setting us up to scale. But I think, like you said, is it better to be one or the other? If you want to grow, you have to do both. Sure. And put a huge emphasis on all of it. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, good good, good answers. The <clears throat> On the marketing side of things, has that been a crazy ride to go from that 7000 a month to where you're at currently? No, no, it's not. I mean, other than enjoyable and fun and whatever else, but it hasn't been a crazy ride. Biggest misconception in marketing is that you have to do more to get more. Right. Not the case at all. Um, Marketing is all about tightening and refining and optimizing. Yeah. Right. The goal is to do or the goal is to get the most with the least amount of work if you're marketing well. Right. You only need to send out one message on one platform. Okay. 
right? That's um, something I talk about occasionally on LinkedIn. It's our belief at Numa is you have one service offering, you have one message, and you distribute it on one platform. Yeah. And you stay there until you've basically used all your options, mm-hmm. right? Because that, what that does is that teaches you exactly what your target audience needs to hear before they make a decision. Sure. If it's not working on one platform, adding in a second platform isn't going to make you any better, right? Now you're just doing double the work and your messaging still isn't tight. Right. So, and it comes like from us to go to where we were to where we are. Yeah, we've added some things like now we're adding in a podcast. We're getting more into YouTube. Um, our whole team's getting on Twitter now and we're still like expanding on these platforms, but we're still pretty heavy like on LinkedIn in general, mm-hmm. right? Like that is our pretty much main source, like LinkedIn and Twitter from a social standpoint, outside of partnerships, referrals, word of mouth, um, is our biggest hits. And we only have to post once a day. Right. It's right. just making sure we're consistent with it. It's making sure people are understanding what we're doing. Um, but yeah, so I don't think it's done. More marketing didn't equate to our growth. Mm-hmm. It was consistency. Sure. Right. It was still a lot of people go for two months and they're not seeing what they want. So they stop or they're getting some stuff through the door. And it's like, well, we got to make this better. It's like, you don't have to make it better. You have to give it time to work. Okay. Right? It takes somebody seven to eight hours of active time with you. Mm-hmm before they can actually like establish like a strong peer to trust. If they're on LinkedIn and it takes them 30 seconds to read your post, how many LinkedIn posts do you actually have to put out there to get that seven to eight hours of time before they're ready to have a conversation? Sure. Right. It takes that time to build it up. Um, But yeah, so I think like it's, it's been a a lot of fun to Mm. watch things work out and watch our company grow, but it's not crazy stressful. Um, We make it that way sometimes just because we're aggressive and ambitious. Mm hmm. But yeah, it can be really, I guess, just simple. Sure, sure. Do you, this might be a really elementary question, but in the marketing world, something that I potentially would struggle with or just wonder how you, how do you handle is, I feel like if you're marketing, your message is very consistent, repeatable, whatever else Mm -hmm. is, there's a part of me where like, I've already said this last week, I don't want to say this again, but isn't there a thing where you want to repeatedly say the same thing, maybe in a different way over and over again, right? Or... What I'm curious of, is that true? And if so, how do you handle like not having internal burnout on what your message is? Um, well, one, you don't get to have internal burnout. It's not an option. Okay. Right? If you want it to work, it's just like you got you to gotta fight through it even if you're like, okay, this seems a little weird because it'll work down the road. Okay. So I think it does work, but it has to be the right message. Okay. If I'm saying something over and over again that's not resonating with my audience, that's an issue. Sure. But if I've talk to current clients, past clients, um, people who have even told me no, but have booked a call and I ask, what's the thing that, you know, you saw from me that resonated with you Mm -hmm. and they're all giving me a trending topic. Well, okay. If it worked for them, it's going to work for the, for the newcomers, Mm -hmm. right? Cause there's going to be people on a day-to-day basis that have never heard of me before that see me on LinkedIn and they're hearing that message for the first time today. Right. Versus the people who have just been doing it for six months. And so, but it has to be the right message that resonates and it has to be different enough than somebody else. Sure. Right. Why should I make this decision? Mm -hmm. Is this going to benefit me? How's this going to put money back into my pocket? How's this going to change my life? What am I actually spending money on? Answering those questions where they can look at you and go, okay, I want to work with him versus somebody else is basically the message you have to put out there, but you can repeat it over and over and over again until it breaks. Sure. Sure. So potentially as long as it resonates with people obviously it's true to who you are Mm -hmm. then just persist and continue yeah yeah um i think another potential powerful lesson is you had talked about on the other podcast i'd heard you on is um 
that as a company, you focus a lot and you, you touched on it on the back end. Why did you choose us as a company? What made that happen? Stuff like that. What are those things that you go through from a NUMA media customer retention? Yeah. So we do, um, like we always do offboardings and check-ins with our clients, like throughout the process, Mm -hmm. like what was your favorite part? What was your least favorite part? Uh, we want to, if there's something they didn't like, we want to know that immediately. Sure. Right? Like we would rather have them tell us they dislike us and we go back and fix it mm-hmm. versus them leave and we never know. Right. Uh, there's a lot of times we have clients that will on our onboarding for or offboarding forms kind of rip us apart in the process. Huh. Like, hey, we didn't like this. We didn't like this. We didn't like this. And we step in and go, okay, great. Hey, here's how we're going to fix this. We're going to do A, B, and C moving forward and it's going to be gone forever. And they go, okay, let me sign an SEO deal now with you too. Right. Right. And it's like (laughs) us fixing it in the process. They're ready to upsell. Right. And they stay with us. And it's because we're doing things with their feedback. We're not collecting their feedback and putting it in a data pool and then looking at it in six months and trying to make a decision. Right. They're telling us they didn't like something. It can clearly make our organization better. We're going to make that change, become a better company, serve our clients to a higher level and keep them around longer. Right. But outside of that, um, even in our sales process, like anybody who ever books a meeting with us, we know exactly where did you first hear about us? Mm-hmm. Where was the first place that you knew that we existed? What was the thing that you saw that made you book a meeting? Hmm. Right? Because those are two totally different avenues. A lot of people will attribute where they came through to the reason they came through and lead sources and lead reasons are two totally separate things. Right. Right. You can get a ton of people that come through your website and the first thought is, oh, people are converting on our website. Let's send all of our traffic to our website. Right. Well, if you do that, then you're going to put a bunch of paid ads out there that nobody cares about and nobody's even going to go to the website or they're going to go there and be unqualified. Mm-hmm. If somebody first saw you on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter or word of mouth and they came to your website to check you out or they've been following you on LinkedIn for the last six months and the only way they knew how to book a meeting was through your website, mm-hmm. well, you can't attribute that client to the website. It's sure. through your six months of LinkedIn content that drove them there. Right. Um, so we want to know that one, so we can tell where our clients are spending the most amount of their time. And basically then what they saw that actually was like, you know what, you've been talking about A, B, and C for the last three months, and it was just time for me to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. And so that tells us, yeah, where they're spending the time, what they heard us say, that was the thing that's going to resonate with them. Mm-hmm. And it allows us to continue to optimize and tailor our messaging. Sure, sure. Do you try to do that with your marketing clients as well? Like, do you try to have them implement that in their businesses? Oh, yeah. It's like the first thing we do. Okay. Um, with my personal consulting and I guess like, so even working for NUMA, like I treat NUMA as a client as much as I do like my bosses and friends. Sure. Right. So I want to instill everything that I've learned to build into that company as well. And NUMA has taught me more than enough things to take everywhere else. But my approach in marketing is less about action and more about process. Okay. So a lot of people look at marketing and say, hey, in order to fix this, we're going to do paid ads. We're going to post on LinkedIn. We're going to do X, Y, and Z campaigns. Mm -hmm. Problem with that is the reason most people hire out a marketing agency is because they don't have time. It seems too stressful. It's tedious. They can't execute on it. And at the end of the day, it's like, great, we can tell you to do all these actions. But if it's not natural to your business or it's messy or you can't keep up with it, it's never going to be successful. Right. So the first thing I look at with all my marketing clients is what is your process? Mm-hmm. How are you going to make this sustainable? Right. Because again, marketing is consistency. If you're not showing up and doing it every day, if it's not fun, if it's not enjoyable, like you're not going to do it for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. 
And so we look at, okay, what is your process? How are you going to do this? How is it going to be a natural part of your business? Just like finances, just like fulfillment and everything else, marketing has to be at that exact same level. Right. And so we look at, great, how are you collecting data? What process are you using to plan content, ideas, understand opportunities? How are you actually executing? Who's your team? Who's responsible? And then, you know, if this goes well, how are we going to look at and actually repeat this process again tomorrow? Yeah. Right. Um, and so that's like realistically the first month, month and a half when I work with my clients is setting up those processes to make sure that, okay, now let's start doing this. Mm-hmm. It's like the easiest part of their day. They're not sitting down to try and write content for three hours because they don't know what to talk about. They have a system in place for how to come up with new topic ideas. They have a system in place for how to write efficiently. They have a system in place for how to distribute, collect data and responses, how to engage with people. And if they can't do it themselves, we figure out a way to hire a team. But it all comes down to systems and processes mm-hmm. more than it does the actual activity right because you could jump into an activity and it could not work right right well then how are you going to switch do you can you do that in a flow without breaking your entire business mm-hmm. so if you don't have an entire structure in place like yeah you're setting yourself up for failure so yeah through numa all of the stuff that we do as far as like data collection and the process and how we're just like you know executing at 65 pieces of content a week is the exact same thing i transfer over everywhere else sure sure the has that been fun from a like or i'm thinking about specific instances mm-hmm. or even on a general level like is it pretty sweet to it must be pretty pretty rewarding to have a company come to you say hey we need help for you to advise them help them and see some pretty awesome growth come yeah. out of it i think our my most recent client success that's been awesome um working with this woman who is wonderful yeah. um in november i think they did like 11,000 total in the month. Okay. Um, and then in March, they did 22,000 in the first 10 days. Nice. And so, yeah, it's like yeah. almost tripling their revenue in a four-month time span. Right. Um, so that one's been a lot of fun. And that hasn't come down to anything other than how are you executing at a higher level and how are you collecting data to turn that into your content? Like mm-hmm. it was two very simple changes that didn't like break up their workload. It didn't give them any more work. Mm-hmm. It just changed what they were doing and how they were doing it. Right. And we see results. Yeah. No, I can see that. And and how many are your clients typically coming in with already a high appreciation for marketing? Or do you have people that are coming in and like kind of like bah humbug will maybe I'll try this out kind of thing? Or what's your I, what's uh, that spectrum? Yeah, I am done as of I literally made the decision on April 1st that I can't take on any more clients that are not engaged in the marketing space. Sure. Um, reasons being, is it just like, usually when you're at that stage, marketing isn't your problem. Right, right. Right. You usually have a sales problem, a fulfillment problem. You have a systems and operations problem. There's a reason that revenue is not coming in the door and it's not marketing. Mm-hmm. Right. Marketing is kind of like the cherry on top of everything. You need marketing to be successful, but if you don't have a product to market, that you can fulfill on, it's going to be very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are fulfilling on a product and sales is good and money's up, it's easy to spend money on marketing sure, because you know it's going to 10x the process. So um, used to work with a lot of people who are kind of bah humbug. And of course, like it didn't work. Right. The people who weren't into it never got results. They didn't have time on the day-to-day basis to execute. They wouldn't actually go out and do the things that we had talked about versus these clients that come in like, hey, we know we need to do this. Mm -hmm. Just tell us how and we'll take care of it. Right. Those are the ones that crush it. Okay. So there's not a whole lot of uh, stories of I'm against this and you guys converting them and having a change. It's really an attitude coming into it that does make the biggest difference, hey? 
I mean, we can tailor that. We can change that attitude. But sure. There's some qualification that needs to be done before that, right? There's a lot of people who are like stressed about it and don't want to do it at the start. Right. And then once they kind of get going, you can flip that attitude. Right. At, like at Numa, I would say that happens the most for our SEO clients. Okay. Um, you know, you'll get people in. And it's like, all right, we're going to spend this money. We don't know if SEO is going to work for us. After month three, we've been reporting to them. They're starting to see results. They get excited about it. They put more money into the monthly retainer because that, like, they're just going to grow and grow and grow. Mm-hmm. We can do it from that perspective. With some of the personal stuff I do, it's like, I mean, I'm only one guy. It's a week-to-week consulting retainer. Like, there's, use the analogy, like, I'm not going to walk your dog for you. Sure. I, I can't. Right. right? Like, I, it's, there's a lot, it's a lot of time on my plate to actually, like, step in and do all that work. So, kind of have to work with people who are going to take the reins and make right. it happen. Right, right. No, I think that's, I think that's powerful, right? Is even, even defining, you said you like to define who your customer is. You like your clients to define who your customer is. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing right there, right? Yeah. Part of defining who your customer is, is somebody who is, uh, sees the value and passion about mm-hmm. thriving in the marketing world, right? Well, it's like, I'd be okay with my clients firing me at some point. Right. Like, you don't have to keep me forever. I just want to get you to a place where you're like, okay, I'm kind of cruising on my own now, or you can hire somebody internally to come take over the stuff that you've been doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not here to stick around forever. I just want to get you to a point where you're successful enough that you, you know, you met your goals. And if, you know, if they're the right client, they meet their goals and then they set new ones and new ones and new ones. And we work together for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's just not realistically the case for everybody. Right, right. Um, any any advice, insight for, uh, for somebody else that would consider hopping into the marketing world? I'm thinking of a, a high school kid or even somebody older that has considered it. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, it's a good one. Really, I'm thinking big picture stuff. Not yeah. necessarily like, hey, yeah. do X, Y, and Z, yep. but like... If you are this type of person, maybe this is for you or this is what you could expect out of this world. That's the thing of like, you got to get your hands dirty. Yeah. Go break stuff. Work for somebody for free who's going to legitimately like let you try and fail things. Um, One of the worst parts about the marketing world is that when you are in college and you're getting a marketing internship, you're you're not learning anything, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're working for companies who tell you they need X, Y, and Z. Hey, we want you to create a newsletter. We want you to look at paid ads. We need you to post X, Y, and Z on LinkedIn for us, Mm -hmm. right? You're basically just becoming like an execution monkey, right? It's like, you don't even need to know marketing to do that. And if you bring ideas to the table, well, you're just the intern. They don't care about it anyways, right? which sucks. Um, I would, knowing that earlier, I would have worked for free much earlier for a company who was willing to be like, hey, you know what? If you screw this up, okay with that we're not doing marketing right now anyways right like let's mm-hmm. just see if this works and you get to try and fail i think it's one of the coolest things that we actually do at numa is like anything that we do for our clients we've already done internally for ourselves right we're not teaching anything out of theory of like this might work this might not work we've seen it either work or not work within our own company first and then we're going out and telling other people about it hmm. which you know if you like if you're a new marketer coming in and you don't get that opportunity to kind of like get your hands dirty and actually do the stuff in school they tell you everything in theory this works like this well not if your buyers don't buy like that right Right. (laughs) you know it makes it a little bit different so i think that's probably the biggest advice i have like figure out a way to get your hands dirty like i said i did a lot of projects work for people for free i did mock ad campaigns i was just doing things to try and like see okay let me take this environment let me see if i can articulate a solution for this environment and once you kind of like pair those two 
you start to realize like, okay, will this work or will this not work? Mm -hmm. Let's actually implement and try it out. Let's see how other people are going to respond to it. But yeah, you got to get your hands dirty. Okay. Um, Do you have any thoughts or insight into what, like, I'm curious if you meet people that like, wow, you would make a great marketer or thoughts or insight of, again, personality styles or or things that you're interested in of somebody that doesn't realize they would enjoy it and would be great at it? Oof. Got like people. Yeah. That's it. And you have to be willing to be very... I don't. I don't know what the. I don't even know the word for it. I want to say like. It's going. The answer is not always going to be in front of your face. Like a lot of it is intuitive, mm-hmm. right? Like there might not be hard data for what you're looking at, but you know that that's the way that it's happening. Okay. Um. But yeah, like I think people driven and be willing to be not, like making decisions off of perfect clear-cut data right like i'm gonna you're gonna go into an office and have to be able to be like hey this is what i think is going to work right based on x y and z reasons Mm -hmm. and there might not be strong data for it now but like hey i've seen this happen i've had discussions where people have said this to me and i'm gonna make a decision based off that Um, but yeah you have to be interested in people willing to listen to them get to know them really really deeply um, and understand how to i guess change their mindsets yeah for sure what about outside of the marketing world? You talked about that hike. Do you have any big passions that rise to the top? Do you have things outside on a personal level that you get excited about? Um, man, it's I've given a lot of time and effort into marketing over the last two years. Okay. Um, some of my hobbies have kind of got pushed on the back burner for that reason. Right. Uh, Photography is probably the biggest one that I like really lean into. Hmm. But again, like I haven't picked up a camera in probably a year. Okay. Um, I think mostly because it doesn't, like I have no need to. It right. was one of those things that I did when I was like bored and it filled that creative, I guess like that creative hole. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, a lot of my free time has been more trying to be social sure. with people outside of having a hobby. Like whatever I can do with a group of people outside of work has kind of become the easy balance. Sure, sure. Of trying to find that world. Do you find that you maybe lean too far isn't the right answer because you it fits you right but mm-hmm. you could argue that or somebody from the outside perspective could say you lean too far like you are you work hard right you put in a lot of time there strictly from just being an aggressive person an aggressive company like you said yeah i don't know that i lean too far into it um because like at the same time i have pretty hard work and play boundaries sure um when i work hard i try to work hard right and then when i'm not working i try to not work at all right and so i don't know that it's that perspective and i think that's like I mean, having hobbies like kind of got pushed on the back burner, mm-hmm. but I think it's because when I'm done working, I don't feel the need to like go out and do all this other stuff. I think there's like a sense of fulfillment for what I'm doing um, and it kind of become the hobby, hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. not, it's not just, oh, I have to get up and work today and we have to create this stuff. It is, let's see what we can actually create through our work today. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm done with that, it's like, all right, I want to go be your own people now. Right, right. <laughs> uh, that's kind of that's kind of been the thought process for around the last 12 months. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like in the winters, I'll ski a little bit. Summers, play golf. There's, I mean, there's things, but nothing I obsess over the way I do marketing. Right, right. So it sounds like you're in a great role. I mean, to have the thing that you are most excited about to be the thing that you are, I mean, that's your mm-hmm. career, right? Or, yep. or, I mean, that's... For now. <laughs> yeah, right. But not, I don't think many people can say that. Potentially not, but I don't think I'll do this forever either. Right. I think this marketing stuff has a, a lifespan. Sure. What I'll do next, I don't know, but I think about the trajectory. I mean, like we just talked about from 
when I was 18 till now, I've done a lot of different things. Yeah. I think like it hasn't even been 10 years, you know, I'm 26, but yeah, by the time I'm 35, I would honestly imagine I'm in a, it's an entirely different industry. Right. You don't have any thoughts or feelings on where that might be? No. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause you look at, uh, where you are today and where you were 10 years ago, you can't even connect the two. No. You know, on a day-to-day basis, you, you very little changes, but over that 10 years, a lot has changed mm-hmm. for sure. 10 years from now, where you'll be, will probably be a total crazy difference from where you are right now. I mean, there's a lot of things I would like to do. Like I'm a, I would like to be pretty simple and like live pretty simply. Okay. I've thought about the idea of owning bars and restaurants and oh. like doing something that is just like basic and enjoyable, but the opposite of what I'm doing now, you know, getting kind of like stepping out of the business sphere because like you said, like it is stressful. There's a lot of stuff that goes on a day-to-day basis. There's parts of me that occasionally think like, man, wouldn't this just be easier to have like a simple, easy, stress-free job, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, not for now. I do really enjoy this, but at some point, I don't want to do the same thing forever. Right. I'm, there's no way. And I think I've set myself up to the mindset where I don't have to. I've made fast decisions and changing my trajectory on a whim. Yeah. Where I think that'll probably just happen again when the time comes, but I don't imagine that being for a few years. Right. Well, that's awesome. I have a <clears throat> one of my real estate clients has retired, has no email, does not have a voicemail. The only way you can catch him if he's in the house and he'll answer his phone like it's a landline connected to the wall. Mm-hmm. And he said he loves it. But thinking about that simple life for sure, that's something I crave. I mean, you were talking about the Dude. being able to just disconnect. Yeah. Like I would go out west and live in Wyoming on a ranch where nobody could contact me and I would just have like a dog and a few horses and that'd be it. Yeah. Like I, in a heartbeat. If right. I had like the cash stored away where I could just like live forever like that, be gone. Yeah. I'd pick up music, I'd paint, I'd take photos out there. Like I would just do creative stuff and hang out. Like yeah. I would definitely keep busy. Hobby, yeah, hobby farm, you name it. <laughs> right, right. And this is uh, <clears throat> a world that I've been pumped on and I'm going to ask you about it. People get annoyed by it. Uh, the <laughs> through hiking is something I can't stop thinking about. Are you familiar with like Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail? Yeah. Um, is that something you'd ever consider going on a five-month hike from Mexico to Canada? No. No? Not, not a chance? Not a chance. <laughs> I get such a varied response, but how come not a chance? What's the, I feel like it fits that simple life, the disconnecting, whatever else. But anyways, go into, I don't know. I like, that's a lot. You're committing. Oh yeah. You know, that's, it's just like, I guess it's not easy. And I, I don't think that's my kind of hard. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Um, I'm big on camping outdoors. Like I would go to places for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. I would not hike for a long period of time. Sure. Sure. So I think that's the difference, like a simple life somewhere else of just like chilling and getting to know a different community. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right. Not hiking through the woods for five months. Right. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I know everyone has to find their thing, but I think that elements of that, like the part that I crave about that is a lot of what you're craving about the simple life and the disconnecting and mm-hmm. whatever else that it might be. But for sure that resonates is the thought of the Wyoming ranch or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. See where life takes you, eh? I guess. <laughs> but Nick, I, I really do appreciate you hopping on. This has been fun. Uh, absolute blast, man. I appreciate you for, for having me in. Yeah, for sure. If people did want to find your company, Numa Media, from, yep. a, so, from a marketing perspective. Um, we have NumaLLC.co. That's P-N-E-U-M-A. 
a that's that's a tough one to spell off the dome when you're a little dyslexic yeah. <laughs> um dot co and then obviously we have linkedin instagram everything else right right well again really appreciate it thanks Nick. thanks for having me yeah hey guys thank you for listening today i hope you enjoyed it if you have and you feel so inclined share this podcast with your friends subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and give us some feedback with a review Until next time, thank you.